First John chapter one. Let's begin once again in verse one. And let us hear together the word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the light was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. <coughs> oh, may our good and great God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Through the history of the Christian church, there have been numerous attacks upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is therefore incumbent upon all of us as believers to know and to defend the sacred doctrine of Christ's humanity and His deity. Can we say that we love the Lord Jesus without knowing who He truly is? Can we say that we are His disciples and yet be unable to defend His blessed person? As we have seen thus far in our studies, John begins his great epistle with an eyewitness defense of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This vital theme of proper Christology surfaces again and again in John's epistle. And this should not surprise us because there is no Christianity without the biblical Christ. There is no salvation. There is no eternal life without the Christ of Scripture. So this is why I have been taking my time, as I warned you when we began, and uh, as I continue to remind you that we're spending what some might think a, a little bit uh, longer than necessary in these few, first few verses. But brethren, John's epistle flows from the power of the doctrine of these first four verses. So I'm in no hurry to display Christ as He is and as John knew Him for us. And to do what I can to unfold the several important doctrines that He sets before us in shortened form here. I want us to continue to dwell upon these four verses and to think carefully and clearly about what God is saying to us here. So, I remind you that John's epistle begins with a magnificent defense of the Incarnation, especially emphasizing the humanity of the Lord Jesus as we saw in our last message, there are four important elements in a biblical understanding of the doctrine of the Incarnation, of the person of Jesus Christ. First, true deity, which we will unfold this morning, God willing. Secondly, true humanity, which was our, our blessed privilege to unfold last week. Thirdly, true distinction between his nature as God and his nature as man. He was fully God and is fully God and was in his lifetime on earth fully man and still fully glorified man. And finally there's true union with his deity and his humanity. As there is a true distinction between his humanity and his deity, so there is true union in one person of his deity and humanity. These are the things that we find laid out passage after passage. 
Of course, there, there is no verse that says it this way. Brethren, it takes labor and prayer and seeking God's Word, pleading with Him to teach us and to reveal the glories of His Son to us. But as we do that, with all of our hearts, as we plunder the treasures of Scripture, we see these four things set before us time and time again. And it is always the joy of my heart to set forth the Lord Jesus Christ as our God. Now we're to never, never diminish His deity or His humanity for the other. We must always exalt Him as He is, the God-man. But it is a distinct pleasure for me this morning to point to some of the scriptures that reveal the glorious deity of our Christ. Again, to remind you, the first four verses of John's epistle, known as the prologue, that's what I mean when I refer to the prologue, these are John's eyewitness accounts of the greatest revelation of God in history. Jesus Christ, the theanthropic person, the God-man. Now, just as John's Gospel begins with a clear defense of the Godhood of the Lord Jesus, so his epistle begins with a clear defense of the humanity of the Lord Jesus. And that's why we took it first. And that is what John emphasizes with great power. However, he does point clearly to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ in these same verses, which we will see in just a few moments. But this prologue, in essence, is John saying to us, We apostles declare unto you the things we have known of Christ's humanity from the beginning of the Gospel era. The things that we know of that life that was manifested unto us. We are not declaring something new. We are not delivering a tale of fiction or of apparitions. We heard Christ. We saw Christ. We handled Christ with our hands. The Apostle Peter says the same thing when he writes, in first Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter, chapter one, verse sixteen: For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. Peter, James, and John were in the inner circle. And Peter could say these things with the same force, just a slightly different vocabulary as John. What we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked upon and handled the word of life, we declare it unto you that you might have joy, that you might fellowship with us and with the living God. So, we want to consider then this morning this second aspect, though in point of, of eternity and time, it came first, we want to look at this glorious deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, this is actually Jesus Christ, the Word of Life, part 4. And this morning we look at the nature of the Word of Life, and then finally, the revelation of the Word of Life. The nature of the Word of Life should engage our thinking first. While John emphasizes the humanity of the Lord Jesus, he also refers to Him here in verse 1 as the Word of Life. The Word of Life. Now, look at verse 2. He says, For the life for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life. Now there he is, the word of life, the life, that 
eternal life. This is who was manifested that could be heard and seen and handled the word of life. In other words, he is making direct reference to the fact that this one that could be seen and heard in the flesh was more than simply a man. Yes, fully man. But he was the word of life. That life. And we want to see how that is unfolded here in the pages of Scripture. And of course, there's no way to do justice to the, the massive doctrine of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ in one simple message. But I will do what I can to point you to what I think are wonderful and blessed passages that will encourage and feed your soul and bring us face to face with our God. So let's consider first the, the phrase that John uses here. This is the only place he uses it. The Word of Life. Brother, this is the most precious way of describing the Lord Jesus. The Word of Life. Now we, we know from his Gospel that John calls the Lord Jesus the Logos. The Word. The Logos has quite a history, and we're not going to unfold that this morning, or the use of the word Logos in Greek. But among the many philosophies to be found among the Greeks was the idea that there was this great power that held everything together called the Logos. And John takes a word that would have been familiar in his day, and he takes it and he says, I'm going to tell you who the Logos is. It's not some nameless, faceless power. It's not just some undergirding force of the universe. He is the one that I heard and saw. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Logos, the Word, is the living God. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Let's see how he expresses it there. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. What he is telling us is that at the time of creation, the Word already was. Which means that he is not part of creation. He is not a created being. He is the creator himself. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now brethren, you will meditate on that all your days. And never plumb the depths of it. The Word was with God. There is a separate personhood. The Greek here is towards the God. You almost see in the choice of John's Word that glorious union and communion of the Father and the Son through all eternity. But not only was He with God, the Word was God. Literally in the Greek, God was the Word. Amen. The same was in the beginning with God. And here John, John is so simple and yet so profound in all the things that he writes. It is, it is as if, he says, now I don't want you to miss what I just said in verse 1. The same, the Word, was in the beginning, the creation of all things, with God. There are two persons being set before us. Yes. And the Word, who is a person, was with God, and He is. He was, He is, and evermore will be. Amen. God. Yes. In verse 3, all things were made by Him. The Word is the Creator. The Word is the power that breathes life and existence to all things 
that are. All things were made by Him. And without Him, the Word, was not anything made that was made. Oh, brother, I can stop right there. And we can praise our God all day long. Yes. Right there. We don't have to wander around in nature and look at the trees and look at the sky and say, I wonder how they got there. Why does the heart work the way it does? Why do the lungs uh, do what they do? And I don't even have to sit and think, all right, breathe, breathe. My body doesn't. Why do my eyes work the way they do? What is this incredible thing that, that, that is far and above what a computer is called the brain, the mind? How does it function the way that it does? How is it that I am the same person that I was yesterday, and yet it seems like I'm changing all the time, and yet I am the same person? How can these things be? Because God the Word made them. All things that exist, all things that are, are within His great and mighty power. He has determined before the foundation of the world that all things be as they are. And He holds them together with His mighty created power. Creative power. Now, brethren, let us let that sink in. That God the Spirit take these things and burn them deeply within our hearts and our minds. Because Jesus Christ, the Word, was with God and God was and is and evermore shall be the Word. So, when John says in his epistle, I've heard and seen and handled the Word of life, he's talking about the living God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And stop and think of what he's saying. Think what I've just said before you. I heard. I saw. I touched. My creator. Words. Express things. They express the things of our minds. And therefore, our words reveal who we really are. When John says in his Gospel, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was saying to us that Jesus Christ is the revelation of the depths of the mind. God. What is God like? Look to Jesus Christ and you will know. Amen. Because as the one who from eternity was in union and communion with His Father, He assumed humanity and walked among us. is why he could reprove and rebuke his own beloved disciple. Have I been so long time with you, Philip, and yet hast thou not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. He's not saying, I am the Father, but I am God. I share eternal deity with him. I was with Him for all eternity. When I speak, I speak what He's given me to say. When I do, I do what He's given me to do. I am the revelation, the greatest revelation of Almighty God. Because I am God, the Son. He is the Word Jesus Christ as the Word is the highest expression of God's mind and the greatest revealer of the triune Godhead. 
He's not only the Word, but you notice He is the Word of life. That's the second person of the Godhead. The Eternal Son is the very essence of life itself. Anything that has life, physical or spiritual, has it because the Eternal Son is life and grants life. All that comes from Him, as John 1.4, the Gospel says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him, in Him, by His very nature, He is the very source, the very origin of life itself. Whether it be biological or soulish life, is there because that is what Christ is. And He speaks into existence life as it pleases Him to give. With His own lips He declared, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And this is why Jesus could say as a man in John 5, 26, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so, in the same way, hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. <coughs> now, He's not saying that there was no deity and then God gave Him deity. He's not saying that. When He says and speaks of Himself as the Son, He's talking about having come as man, the Messiah, and he's saying, what God has given to you, what God has granted, is me, the God-man, that eternal life should stand before you wrapped in flesh. As God the Father has power over all things, because He is life, He is Almighty God. So Messiah is Almighty God. As he stands before you. He's not only life itself, he's the giver of life because he is life. He is the very, because he is the very God of eternity, Jesus is the giver, the grantor of life. Jesus gives physical life and he gives eternal life, as I've already alluded to. Number one, he can and he does raise those that are physically dead. He can and He does raise those who were physically dead. Mary and Martha were grieved because their brother had passed away. How could the Lord Jesus have let this happen? He was our friend. He loved Lazarus. We sent word to Him. It said, Come. He's dying. Jesus went in on purpose. He took his time. He let Lazarus die. So that all in all his manifested glory, he could say, Oh dear sister, your brother's gone to rise again. Oh, I know he's going to do that in the resurrection. Why am I talking about that? I am the resurrection. I am the life. Lazarus, come forth. <coughs> and the dead live. Amen. Hallelujah. What is said here. Brethren, the glories of Christ manifest in raising the dead from the tomb fades in comparison to the fact that He raises those that are spiritually dead to new life to real eternal life something that eclipses biological life in every way he makes those that are dead in their trespasses and sins 
those that are dead in their stinking rebellions against God, alive to know Him, as Savior, Lord, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, that breathes life into dead sinners. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Not just living and breathing and eating and walking around in this world as, as the lost man can know it. But eternal life, everlasting life, where we, in union with the God-man, are in union with the Godhead. Eternal, everlasting life. Christ goes on to say, It shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily I say unto you, the hour is coming. Listen, brethren, hear these three words. And now is. And now is. As those words came from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and now is when the dead, not talking about Lazarus lying in the tomb, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. He's saying those that by their rebellions and their hateful crimes against God, who've been cut off and are walking in their darkness, the living dead, so to speak, walking in their biological life, but spiritually separated from their Creator. The time now is when they will hear the voice of life itself, when they hear the Son of God. His words enter into their darkness, shattering their darkness, making them to see their sin, making them to see their need of a Savior, making them to feel and to know their lostness, Knowing that they were to die in their wretched condition, they would be lost in hell forever. The words of life come from the Son, and they say, I live. I live because of Him. He raises them up from the darkness of their dead souls, that they might have life with Him. In John 17, 2, Christ says, As thou, Father, hast given Him, Messiah, the theanthropic person, power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given Him. He is the Word of life. He grants life. He breathes eternal life into the lost and dead soul, so that they repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus. They believe on the resurrected Savior. Amen. They believe on Him. They no longer say, oh, He's just one God among the many gods. He's just one way among the many ways. You can be a Muslim. You can be a Hindu. You can be a Taoist. You can believe these things and those things. No! They hear in their souls and in their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit the very words of life from the Word of life Himself. Amen. And they repent and they believe unto everlasting life. And it's because the very God-man Himself has willed along with the Father that their eyes be opened. Oh, friend, if you sit there this morning and you say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I believe on God, I tell you all of your days you will be a man of worship. Why? Because you will realize that the Son of God Himself, the incarnate Son, said, you will have life. And I will speak to you and you shall hear my words and you will live. He has given to him all power and life. Excuse me, to give life to whom he will. And that's, brother, you can just say, put your own name in right there. I live today because Christ willed that I might have life. That Randy, that David, that Linda, that Laura, have life. Amen. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, 
Not only is it granted that we should have it, not only is it commanded that it should come to us, but He Himself fills us with His Spirit, and it is His glorious life through His Spirit that animates the Christian to walk according to the Word of God. He is our life. Because He is the Word of life. Amen. And He shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Or actually, verse 14, uh, 14. Peter says, But ye, you Jews, you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Speaking of Barabbas. And what does he say? And you killed the Prince of Life. The one who rules over life and grants it and gives it as he will. Jesus is the word of life. John says, I heard him. Song of my eyes. I touched him. Let us press on to our, our last point. The revelation of the word of life. As we've looked for some time this morning at his nature, let us now consider the revelation. Let us go into God's word and hear the voice of God regarding his son. Hear the voice of the prophets, of the apostles, testifying of this glorious deity. First of all, brethren, let us turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I will be going very quickly through these. If you find it tedious to try to keep up, then don't do that. Just get the tape later, or I will give you these references. Don't miss what is being said here. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. One of many verses that glorifies the deity of Christ along with the humanity. As it says, For unto us a child is born. Here is his manhood. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Amen. The Mighty God. Amen. Jesus was not simply a special man in history. He was not simply a great teacher and a great philosopher. He is the Mighty God. Yes. Life in himself, granting it withholding it. He is God, sovereign, ruling, reigning, forever and ever. The mighty God, the Son given to the Virgin. Hallelujah. Amen. He has been prophesied. This is what was to come. The Son who is the mighty God. Turn with me to Genesis 1. The very first words of the Bible say, Genesis 1, Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now we turn to John 1, where we were just a moment ago. John, hundreds and hundreds of years later, sits down to write, and he takes the first three words that the Bible begins with. The very revelation of of, of the Creator of all things. And he begins and says, Now, in the beginning, the Jews had to sit up. What? He's beginning like the Bible begins, our scriptures. In the beginning. And then, knowing his hearers were not only the Jews, he also knew the Hellenistic mindset and their false and fictitious fables about the Word. says, In the beginning was the Word. The Jews would say, What? The Hellenistic Jews and the, uh, the Greeks would say, What? In the beginning was the Word. It draws them to the very point of deity. And then he says, Now, I'm going to tell you Greeks who it was that made all things, and I'm going to tell you Jews who that God that you call your Creator is, who you're ignorant of. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God was the Word. You put Him on the cross, but He's the Prince of Life. In the beginning was the Word. Amen. And then He says, look at Colossians chapter 1 where we look 
at the words of Paul, Colossians chapter 1. He says, beginning in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father. This is why we will always, as His children, praise and worship and adore Him. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us, me, fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto or into the kingdom of His dear Son. God has done a miracle through this one called the Son, in whom, in the Son, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or the principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things. He says, don't get caught up, caught up with what I'm saying. He is before all things. He's the living God Himself. And by Him all things consist. Amen. Reverend, the whole reason that the, the pew that holds you up today does so is because Christ has commanded its very molecular structure. <clears throat> Your Amen. body does what it does and we see and experience the things that we do. Yes. Because the Lord Jesus Christ the one whose very blood was shed. Wait, wait. God doesn't have blood? How can you talk that way? Because the Word was made flesh. Amen. And dwelt among us. God became man to redeem His people from their sins. Right. He is the Creator. And by that He is Lord over all things. He is God, He is, excuse me, He is Lord because in His essence He is life. He is the Almighty God and He is Lord because He's the Creator of all things. It's all His. Yes, yes. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover, unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. And he just said to Moses, who fled out into the wilderness to hide from the fact that he murdered an Egyptian. Out in the wilderness, all this time, God, he meets with God on the backside of the desert in a, in a burning bush that's not consumed by the fire. And you'll notice, it says that God spoke. He heard the voice of God in that flaming bush. Moses says, Who am I that you should send me into the most powerful man on the face of, uh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth and tell him to let your people go? Who am I that's going to walk into Pharaoh and say, Hey, let them go worship. Who am I? He also said, now what am I going to go and uh, how am I going to go to the Jews? I'm going to go into them and say, look, I hear I'm your leader. Alright, everybody listen to me now. Who's going to listen to that? God said, you tell them who sent you. Yeah. Well, who is that? God, who is that? We know there's God. But who am I going to tell them sent me to do this? Why should Pharaoh listen to me and why should the Jews listen to me? Because I am. Amen. That's what I said. I am. I am that I am. The eternally existing one. And you tell them the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob sent you to tell them, listen to you. Now, this is all right. Brethren, turn to John 8, 58. This is why. <clears throat> John 8, 58. The Lord Jesus says, in conflict with the Jews, as a matter of fact, back up a little bit. <clears throat> Verse 53, 
the Jews say to, to Jesus, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Who do you make yourself now? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he's your God. Right, now don't miss what's the way the Lord is setting this up. Jesus says, Now you say you've got a God. And you say that you honor him and you believe him. But you won't listen to me. He says in verse 55, Yet ye have not known him. You're still ignorant of that God. But I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. You think you know God? You don't know God. You're a liar. I know Him. I know Him and keep His saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And the Jews immediately came who Abraham was. Jesus says He saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto Him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? They're mocking Him. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am the voice from the bush. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob said, You, Moses, tell them that I am sent you. And now, hundreds of years later, clothed in flesh. I am says, you don't know God. Because I am. You say, well, am I reading too much into the passage? Oh no, the Jews in the meeting know what you're saying. Verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. They knew what he said. He said, I am. He took the holy name and applied it to himself. Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. A glorious and familiar passage to us. Psalm 23, the Lord, that's the word for God, Jehovah, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, my God is my shepherd. In Psalm 80, the psalmist writes this, verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that's how they come to their God, Israel knew that God was their shepherd. Thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. In verse 11. The Lord Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. There's no mistake that Jesus chose the word shepherd. It's not just, oh, that was an interesting way that people talked about things and illustrated them. Yes, other people were called shepherds. It's true. Jesus Christ is saying to a people who for centuries have been ingrained with their God is their shepherd. And Jesus said, I am. I lay down my life for the sheep. You think that that's reading too much in the passage? No, brethren. Hebrews chapter 13 says it clearly as the early Christians understood it. Now the God of peace, verse 20, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ is the shepherd of his fold. Jesus Christ is the shepherd, but it's not just a beautiful pastoral way of thinking about God. It is. But it is saying that the one who guides us and feeds us and protects us is the living 
Do you thirst for life this morning? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know if I'm the elect or not. Are you thirsty? Do you want righteousness? Would you have the righteousness of Christ? Come. Come to Him. Believe on Him. Look to Him. I don't know if He's granted me life. Repent and believe. If you will, and you have life. And life eternal. It is explicit and implicit all through Scripture that Jesus Christ is the living God. That is why the Jews said this unto him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, for which of those works do ye show me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone me not, but for blasphemy, because thou being a man, make us thyself. God. They didn't misunderstand. They have theologians with lots of degrees today to do. They have people that sit in churches every Sunday to do. But this is our Christ. Thou being a man, you make yourself God. Now if he wasn't, the very next verse, Christ could have said, Ah, but you've misunderstood me. Wait, don't stone me. You've taken my words out of context. No. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. There's our doctrine. Man and God. Amen. To the Jews, that was unthinkable. Because men are created things. And God created all things. They could not understand that their Creator joined with humanity to die upon the cross and save them for eternity. Do you have the eyes to see this morning? Can you see what the Jews could not comprehend? Jesus is God. He is God. Almighty. Why did He have to be God? Why did He do it this way? Being God, Jesus alone could completely fulfill the law of God. And therefore He accomplished our perfect righteousness. Being God, Jesus alone could bear the very wrath of God upon the cross of Calvary. No human being in and of himself could have withstood the withering heat of God's full judgment for all the sins of all of His people for all of eternity. On the cross, bearing all of God's judgment, is God incarnate, receiving into Himself the awful judgment of God, His Father. And being God, Jesus alone could bring a sacrifice of infinite life. That wasn't just a man on the cross. That was the God-man. Amen. Hebrews 1, one says, God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also we made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things 
by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on The theanthropic person. The God-man. Jesus Christ. Holy man. Holy God. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon in our hands and handled the word of life. Or, the life is the was manifested his humanity. And we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you, we show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father And was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Brethren, I've done what I can. In just these two passages. There are so many. Point to the fact. Woven through the fabric of Scripture. Jesus is the God-man. Believe on Him unto everlasting life. John has declared it that we might fellowship the apostles with his people through all the ages with the Father and with the Son. I close with question 38 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be God? It was requisite that the mediator should be God. That he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a peculiar people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation. Jesus Christ, the Word of Life. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- 450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they 
To admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.